we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking knots? All those things. How's everybody? Welcome to the show. I am Mark Marin. Thank you for listening to WTF. I'm glad you're here. I apologize about my throat. Wait, before I talk about my throat and my nose, on the show today, Michael Showalter. In my attempt to eventually get every member of the state on this show, Michael Showalter is today. He was out in L.A. He's got a book out. He was doing a book tour. He stopped by the garage. We had a chat. And I far be it for me to, to have a, a, a no problem relationship with anybody there was some tension between me and michael at another time surprised so we talk about that a little bit but i i had a great chat with him i think you'll enjoy it i apologize about the uh the throat thing i don't know how i got another cold i know how there's colds everywhere there's all kinds of bugs everywhere all the time i'm on airplanes half of my life just in you know just breathing in bugs and they're getting stronger. I'm grateful I don't have the horrendous flu bug or the, you know, the, the, the shit and vomit bug that's going around. The shit and vomit bug sounds awful. It's a good two-day two shit and vomit bug. I did not get it. A sweaty two-day shit and vomit bug. Do not have that yet, knock on wood. I do have this throat and nose thing, though. I'll, I'll settle. I'll accept that. I'd rather have that. So let's talk about this thing that's sort of eating at my soul, chipping away at my guts, I'm having a hard time talking about it. I'm having a hard time putting it out there. I feel like I have some weird secret. So I am swallowing heavy because of my... There, I, got, I got snot in my head. So let me share this secret that I've been sitting on that's been kind of gnawing at me. I got to share it. You guys are my people. I want to tell you about it. I'm obviously nervous about it, but it happened. Things happen. I was driving back from Santa Barbara... I'd done an interview up there. I'll share that with you later. That's going to be great. Very excited about that. I'm driving back. I get a call from a guy I knew back in the day. He used to be a booker at a club. And now he's a big guy, big promoter, big concert promoter, fairly important concert promoter guy. Does a lot of big comedy shows, theater shows. We don't talk a lot. I don't do theaters. But I've always had a good relationship with this cat. He calls me up. I'm in the car coming back. And he says, I got to talk to you. It was a message. I got to talk to you. Uh, you know, it's pretty important, and I, I want to ask you something. So I was like, what is this? So I call him back. I'm like, what's up? He says, I'm at the gym. I'll call you back. So now I'm just about to shit my pants in suspense. And then he calls me back, and he says, look, I'm doing this Charlie Sheen tour. Uh, he was approached by my company. He's into doing this show. He wants to do a series of dates, and I want to bring some people in to meet with him, you know, talk to him. I bring in some people in to talk about show structure, and I, I wanted to bring some stand-ups in to, to maybe get a feel for where he's at and talk to him. I think he's open to it. And I thought, wow, I don't know what to think about that. But I'll tell you what I did have in the car right after the call with the promoter. I had my equipment in the car, so I recorded what I thought about that in that moment. So let's listen to that. Got a message from a promoter a concert promoter who I knew back in the day. He's gone on to be a pretty big uh, promoter. He called me back and then went on to tell me that he was promoting the Charlie Sheen tour. 
He said, well, I got some people going over there to meet with him. I don't know if he wants to help. I think he wants to help to put this show together. I want the show to be successful. I don't want it to be a disaster. I said, well, I look, you know, a lot of people are buying tickets to a disaster. I mean, you concerned about ticket sales? I don't know how anyone could possibly judge anybody on that. I mean, it seems to me that if they bought this ticket, they know it's a gamble. They're going there to see a spectacle of some kind. I don't think they're expecting a song and dance, man. They're expecting something real to happen. As Chuck Klosterman said on a recent WTF, all people are thinking is that this is happening. But then I'm torn about it. I don't know what you want me to do here. I said to him, I think it seems to me that the only way to structure this show is that Charlie's a motivational speaker. He comes from this. He was unhappy. Something happened. The event. The moment of clarity. And now he sees life this way. He sees it. He sees the truth. Now, whether you disagree with his truth or whatever, or whatever you think of it, I mean, that's what he's doing. So I said, that would seem to be the structure. I didn't really know what to do. But I tried to help this guy out. I think I tried to help Charlie out. But now it turns out he wants me to come by there because, you know, there's been some problems with times and this, and it's all flying by the seat of his pants. Can you come by? Come by the Four Seasons and, you know, sit down with me and Charlie. And then, you know, a couple other things came to my mind. Do I reach out to this guy? Do I try and help him? Do I try to get him to take care of himself? Is that what I'm being asked to do? Or do I, do I just go to the center of this dark vortex that is, you know, arguably the center of international pop culture right now is what's going to happen with Charlie Sheen? And do I try to assess the situation from a proximity that few people have? So I'm going to do that. I'm going to open my mind, open my heart, and see where this guy's at and how I can help him, given that this situation is what it is. Charlie Sheen is making the decisions, but I have a little trouble in my soul about it. I think the guy needs help, but maybe he doesn't. I get to assess that. I'm going to assess it. I guess I'll feel it out when I get there. I don't really know what to expect. I stay, away, I stay away from this type of stuff. But there is something happening in show business. There's something I can't quite understand. Where, and I've always said this. I said, you know, once they started having entertainment tonight, once those news shows that focus basically on show business and behind the scenes of show business, that the illusion has been broken. There was always a distance. There was always an illusion. We were all part of the illusion. We were entertainers. We didn't need to know what was going on and then the tabloids started taking over almost like a cancer is there a truth to them maybe is it sorted definitely is it what people want to see is it what humanizes these people is this what huge stars look like as human beings is tabloidism becoming the new paradigm for entertainment there's some sort of shift going on that we live in a culture that constantly needs content. And a lot of people break under that pressure. How do you switch up that content? How do you keep it original? Well, if somebody is untethered, you never know what the fuck they're gonna say. How much more original can you get? Is it right or wrong? I don't know. There's always been a problem with the illusion. But Charlie Sheen is what 
it looks like when the illusion shatters and the appetite for that process of becoming fragmented, charismatically fragmented, and with enough people who know who you are, they just want to see. They want to see what happens, what those fragments look like, what the shattering looks like. How much control does he, does he have over this game? I mean, those are questions I have, but this is marking a shift in show business. You know, it was always sort of difficult back in the day. One hit wonders. But if you could make enough money off that one hit, wasn't so bad. He certainly made enough money off of other stuff, but this is something else. This is a baptism in fire. An involuntary reinvention due to a shift in perception that is engaging and dangerous. This is fucking psychic, emotional skydiving here. I just want to go see what's going on with that guy. I want to see how much trouble he's in. That's where I stand right now. Those were my thoughts in that moment. Now, I will tell you now that uh, the motivational speaker idea was dead in the water. But I did go over to that hotel. I did sit down with Charlie Sheen and this fella, this promoter, and one of Charlie's goddesses, as he calls them. And we talked a bit. And I really think in my mind and in my heart that I wanted to help out. I have a sensitivity to the state of mind that he's in. I was brought up around that state of mind occasionally. There's an intensity to it, a mania to it, a clarity to it. It's, it's pretty amazing. He was much like he was in those interviews. He's a little more laid back, but his resolve was certainly in place. And I was fascinated. That's why I went over there. I, I wanted to see if I could help out. I wanted to see if there was any vulnerability there around the situation he's in. And I also wanted to hear him out. And I wanted to try to help him put a show together. I wasn't expecting anything. I wasn't asking for money. I was fascinated like everybody else. There's something that revolves around this, this sheen spectacle. There's a, there's a sense, it's a million different things that are going on in, in people I talk to and in the way it's being received. There's concern, there's fascination, there's anger, there's excitement, there's suspense, there's disappointment. Some people feel disgusted by it all. But I could not turn down the opportunity to try to help the guy out, but also to see what the hell was really going on over there. So we talked for a while and, and he listened and I tried to get a sense of the show he wanted to put on. In my mind, I was going to get him to do what I do. In my mind, I was going to say, well, Charlie, I think you should be honest. I think you should talk about your real feelings. Talk about your pain. Talk about your sadness. Talk about your fears. I mean, that's the way my brain works because you know what I do here on my show every day. I thought that maybe this was time for Charlie to, to break down and just come clean about his sadness and fear and pain. And I was going to go in there and try to project the way I do my thing onto this guy, onto Charlie Sheen, who is in this state of clarity and anger. Within five minutes of sitting there, I realized that I'm not even going to suggest that shit. This dude has an agenda. He has a vision. And many of you have heard part of that vision. But there's a bigger vision there. It's almost Blakeian in its scope. 
So I talked to him for a few minutes and, and I said, look, I think you got to tell some stories. This is a great opportunity for you to get intimate and really deal with this thing and take it head on. He seemed uh, open to that. And I thought, okay, well, I, I've done my bit. I can't commit to anything here. Yeah, I, good luck with everything. And, and, uh, and, and, I, and I wish you the best. And I left. And then the next day, I get a text from the promoter. He says, well, look, you know, he got a good vibe from you. Why don't you go up to the house and see if you can help him put this thing together? And I'm a little nervous. I'm like, I, I really don't have time. I, I got my own things I got to do. But again, fascinated, curious, concerned. I said, okay, let's do it. And also, again, wired to interface with even the slightest mania emotionally. So I go up to his house and I am amazed to find that there is a full video production crew there. There are prompter guys there. There are guys, you know, there are boxes of t-shirts. There's a lot of things going on at the, uh, at the estate up there. It's a beautiful house. This guy's got everything. Everything you could possibly want in terms of, of success. He has it. And I walk in and, and he's there with a few other people. They're going over the show outline. They're going over video montages. He's got a vision. Here I thought maybe he'd do a one-man show about his pain. But that he's got a vision. There's their video montage. There's, there's elements here. There, there are things he wants to say. There's, there's a long... I, I don't even want to spill it because I know people are going to go see it. But this guy has a poetic vision. He has clarity in the state he is in. I don't know what's going to happen. But I hung out, listened to what he had to say, threw in a couple ideas about structure, a couple of transitions, a couple of taglines, and just watched the process. I did that for a few hours. I went up there twice. I didn't see any drugs around. There was no booze around. There was a lot of cigarettes, a lot of cigarettes, a lot of candy, a lot of donuts, food, also, a lot of healthy drinks. I guess one of the goddesses is a vegan. Charlie was eating healthy. There was just a lot of people putting a lot of work into making this spectacle, this show, this event into something. And now I see today that there's more flack coming at him, that you know he seems to be angry, more angry. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't even know how to, to say it. It's a spectacle. Never in, in the history of time has people have people bought tickets for something they have no idea what is going to happen. They, I have to assume that many of them are expecting the worst, but I, I will tell you this. Uh, he's going to go out guns blazing if he's going to go out. And I don't know what is at the core of all this. You know, I'm sensitive to his situation, both as a sober person and as somebody who, who has a father who's, you know, is extremely bipolar. But I will tell you this. He's very aware of what he's doing. He wants to do it. He's excited about doing it. He's putting together a spectacle, a show. It completely honors the state of mind he is in right now. I really don't know what is going to happen. But I want him to succeed at it because he, the opposite of that might be necessary it, it might be horrible, but I really want him to pull this off after meeting him. And I also want to talk to him on this show. After all this stuff kind of 
kind of fades a little bit and eases up a little bit after the tour. I have no idea. I have no idea what to expect. But I did go up there trying to help. I hope I did. And we'll see what happens. I keep doing that thing with my teeth. I, you know, I must be nervous about this. It's unbelievable. I'm sorry about the popping and the weird sounds. I don't know what's going on with me today. It must be the sickness. It must be my nerves. It must be the fact that I, yeah, the, the Charlie Sheen experience was, was very intense. I didn't expect it in my life. And I tell you, I don't know. I don't know what I would do if I were him in all of that. But he has an understanding. It's his. It is what it is. Let's see what happens. I did have one thought creatively, take it or leave it, just yeah. for whatever you're doing. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, if you move closer to the mic. Is this okay? Yeah, it's good. Is uh, I'm gonna say it, and then you're gonna get you're gonna get pissed or something. I'm not. Why do you assume that? Um, that's fucking ridiculous. You, uh, oh, you didn't say it. What, we know you were saying that. You know, you you you're this guy, and you do these shows in your garage. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Having now listened to a great deal of of the podcast, right? That never enters my mind ever. Your status, in other words, you come across, and I think are perceived, yeah, as a successful, relevant, and important person. Oh, but I you was... know I'm right, and so and so, to, in, and because you are. And so wasn't always like that. No, but but that's true of everybody. Okay. And so, but so my point is, is that the idea that the show is about, like, I'm just this guy who does this show in my garage. Yeah. But the reality is, that's really not. I realize that that's your narrative, but that's not at all what I see. You know, like it's not. You, yeah. And it, what is genuinely true is, is the reason you're doing these, being able to do these interviews with people is because you're not just some random guy. I think that's true, but I think that it became true as the show became popular with people in the community. I think that if I were to ask Ben Stiller or anybody, you know, in month one. Un of unquestionable. Right. So I think that the, to characterize me, not necessarily as a loser, but I mean, the truth is, this is what I'm doing. Whether it's popular or not, I don't think plays into, you know, what we build the show around. I mean, I'm still living the life I'm living. It's not like I'm leaving the garage and getting an event but, but it's, But it's, but you're right but it's totally separate from so you don't have a bentley but yeah but you're still not this random schnook doing these you're you're a, you're a legitimate okay well you're I mean, a legitimate relevant entertainer and and so did, so for the narrative to be that I'm this random guy and look at me I'm interviewing Judd Apatow that might be what you're thinking it just doesn't feel like that at all it's okay. oh Mark Marin and Judd Apatow are having an interesting conversation well that's because you're in my same community I mean outside of the people that know the podcast or may have read the New York Times article they have no idea who I am maybe all right well I'm uh, talking to Michael Showalter uh, who has come who has driven to the uh, the cat ranch with his lovely uh, assistant and tour manager can I say that she's my my girl Friday okay all right you're on a book tour. Mm -hmm. How's that going? You drawing? Amazing. The book is Mr. Funny Pants. It's got a drawing that I'm, I assume you did. Uh, well, I traced a picture of myself. Oh, you mean the, did the lettering? Yeah, I did yeah. all that. I did you, all that art. Because you're an myself. artist. I am. You're a drawer. I'm a doodler. Yeah, but I mean, is, isn't it more than that? I mean, aren't you really a guy that likes to draw? Yeah. Okay. I am. I am really a guy. Because that, I mean, I, I thought you meant, or am I? Am I drawing audience members? Is what I thought you said. Oh That's no, what I, am, I thought you meant. I, I I am. I did mean that, but yeah. then I got off on the other thing because I love to draw. 
Like you do it a lot. All the time. It, it seems to me that it's a, a secret passion. Yeah, it's not even a secret passion. It's just a passion. But do you exhibit? Do you take it seriously? Do you, I, do you consider yourself a visual artist? Um, I'm moving into that. I'm moving into having discussions about that. But I, I like to- <laughs> We're moving I, towards discussions. I like, I, I'm trying to do a book. I'm trying to do a book of my artwork. Because I, I see you as this guy that at one time was, uh, you know, uh, one of the goofballs in the state and you and the rest of the fellas, three of uh, you're, I think, the fourth one I've had on. Is that right? Yes, it is. And you Tom, know, I, and you know, I know the answer because, you know, I've listened to all the podcasts. Right. Well, I actually had to count because I, I, there's a few I want to talk to. Tom, David, Mike and you and me. Right. And uh, the fictional one. Troy. <laughs> Do you want to play it like it's real? No, we, no. <laughs> No, that's between you and whoever and Troy. Troy was. Yeah, <laughs> did that upset you? I no, I don't know. Of course not. <laughs> I'm not easily upset. Um, but uh, what I, you want to have? You got to have Ken Marino and Joe Latruglio on the show, and Carrie Kenny. And, I know, I know. I, I got to track them all down, and uh, and Kevin Allison. Kevin, of course. I've done his show twice. I should have him on. But then you evolve into a stand-up performer, a film, uh, uh, a screenwriter, a film director. Now a writer, you're also teaching and you draw. Yep. You're a renaissance man. Yep. Do you play an instrument? I'm a, I'm a, the, what do they say? I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. Well, that's a negative way to say renaissance man. Uh, I do man. not play an instrument. I like music. You don't play an instrument? Nope. See, you always strike me like if I, and I, I think we've had problems before, but we're past them. But I was, I was sort of hoping to talk about that only because. I'll talk about it in a no, fucking second. Only I, because I feel like, are you, do I get the apology too, or is it just David? I feel like I've apologized to you before. <laughs> if you want to so know, if you want a public apology, no, I don't. I never. It was. Um, this is about David. This is just about. Do I get that too? It's just. Well, you didn't annoy me quite as much as David in the same in the same way. What's interesting about all you guys, about Michael specifically, about the Stella guys, uh, that was the other thing you did. Uh, you did Stella, which falls under the performer thing. Yep. Was you all? You all exuded to me a, a certain. T Unique in, unto yourselves, a type of arrogance that I found uh, in annoying. Yeah, and 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 yours is different. Michael was very precious. Not Michael. Uh, David was very precious in his arrogance. He he always he always felt like he felt he was special to me, <laughs> and Michael was just sort of prickly to me. But you uh, you had sort of uh, like a an, like an intellectual brooding distance. Uh huh. Which you do. That's the best kind of distance. No, I think so. I'm guilty of it. I'm, I'm a new man, but you man. Know I'm so processing. Ironic? You know what's I'm so ironic? What? What's so ironic is a couple of things. Do yeah. you remember, and I bet you don't. Oh, no. That when Stella first started. At the uh, basement. In that Fez, in Fez. At Fez. Yeah. We did a, we did a big uh, photo shoot. Yeah. Do you remember this? I'm, I'm, keep coming. It was me, David Wayne. Yeah. Michael Black. Yeah. The guy that was the band leader of the show. What was his show, name? Blue? Mr. Blue. Mr. Blue. I remember that guy. Janine Garofalo. Yes. And one other person. Me. You. Oh. And that was in the very beginning. Right. Why? And that was that this was a, I think it was the Village Voice. I think it was the arts, in, you know, the kind of the- Did you include me in that? Yeah. How come? Because as everyone has said, we all, we- you know the irony of you kind of doing all these mea culpas and what dicks we were is that we 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 always <laughs> saw you as this amazing comedian that we wanted to be associated with and whose work we really admired. What's but wrong with me? You know I know what's wrong with you. I 
Why? Yeah. I hate everybody. Yeah. I hate everybody. You don't, though. Yeah, I do. I really? Do. That's my first, my first, my first but that, knee-jerk reaction. My very first thought is, I hate you, no matter what. But but isn't that really just like me in a different language? Totally. Right. So, I mean, it doesn't really even count. I mean, I can't even say, like, if people mistake me as a misanthrope, I'm like, that is so wrong. I mean, I'm just defensive. I'm, I'm preemptively defensive, and I assume I'm going to get hurt somehow, and I assume that people are assuming that they're better than I am. All the assumptions are horseshit. I, for me, it's if it's it's if I assume other people are as judgmental as I am. Why wouldn't you assume that? Exactly, you know I mean? you're sitting exactly. there judging everybody. Exactly. So I'm thinking if you if you are as filled with hate as I am, then I'm in trouble. So you must hate me. Even though I don't know that they're probably not thinking that, but that's what I'm thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to start, where I want to go with you is a couple of questions first, and we're going to come around to the book. You know, I don't really have a plan, but like I know that you're teaching college. Yeah. What does that mean? How many classes? Are you a visiting professor? Are you are you being paid? Was it something you did out of desperation, out of love? What? Okay. So it started as uh, absolutely not being to deal with the incredible roller coaster ride of of the entertainment industry in terms of you do something you get your hopes up then then it gets canceled in my case and then you have these insane lulls where you're waiting for the next big thing and I wanted a job I just wanted a job that I could count on that put money in my pocket I didn't care how much money it was just I wanted to know that at the end of the day I was working because I get a lot of self-esteem out of that. Yeah. And so I started teaching classes at the People's Improv Theater, just writing classes, yeah. comedy writing classes. And it was great. I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I made a little money. And it gave me a little bit of a feeling of, well, you know what? At the end of the day, if I can't, if nothing else works out, I can do this. And then uh, uh, after a couple years of that, this NYU thing opened up at the Graduate Film School. I took an interview. A year later, they called me back. They said, there's an opening. Why don't you come start teaching? And now I've been teaching there for five years. At NYU Film. At NYU Grad Film. I like to say Grad Film. Yeah, because that's better. That's the more well-known and impressive uh, thing to say. But So this is, it's because it's interesting. Yes, I, mean, I, get, I get paid. I'm not a full professor. I'm adjunct faculty, so I'm yeah. not full-time. And I teach uh, one class per semester, and I do office hours, so it works out to about 10 hours a week. The reason I ask that is because, like, in my mind, that was always my plan B. If that, for some reason, I think, I think you and I are similar in some ways. I'm sure that if I were to go to your house, you'd have, you know, probably as many books. Uh, you would probably have, you, you seem like a guy that was, you know, outside of everything creative, aspiring to be an intellectual. Of course. And, and also, I, you know, I was this under this impression that, you know, I had an interest in in teaching and sharing. That was always my sort of plan B was this idea that I could or would teach. But I, I don't I you know, I didn't do it even in my darkest moments. So I, I guess I was just curious in that. And you gave me an honest answer that you were looking for something solid and something yeah, proactive. Unquestionably. And, and do you see yourself in academia? I mean, ultimately, I genuinely love it. I love it. And I I I. I like it. it. It's creative. Yeah. It's actually a lot like doing performance. It's like doing per performance live because sure. you got to be on. You got to be on for three hours and you've got to hold their attention and inspire them and get them thinking and argue if necessary and debate. And it's very stimulating. Um, and there's an element of, of that I care. Mm -hmm. There's a small element of that I care and want to <laughs> see them do, want to see them do well. I really do. I want to see but them mostly do Mostly well. it's about you and. And feeding if your, it if it weren't about me if it weren't no no they don't know who I am 
they don't know who I am because uh, most of the film students at NYU are are foreign. They're from it's very multinational student body. Do you tell them who they are? Do you nope. give them state DVDs nah, or maybe come Wet on. Hot American no, Summer? No. Then when they look at your credits when, on the on the on the what is it the syllabus they don't. Some of them know who I am. Yeah. But, but um, they're they want to be they all want to be famous film directors. So so I mean they're they don't they don't they don't act like they care. Right I, now. I think that it's a pretty noble undertaking, being a professor. I you know I envy it. To I think you'd years. like it. I'm sure I would like it's, it. it. It's it's very fulfilling. Yeah, I just have to get past this having sex with 22 year olds, and then you know maybe I'll I'll look into being a professor. It's not as hard as you'd think. I don't know if you know me that well. <laughs> you just yeah, all right. <laughs> no, no, no. I obviously I'm not doing that. I, you of know, course not, Mark. No, 25 is really my my limit. But I thought I, you had a girlfriend. I did for a while, and she might be reintegrating. There was a lot of uh, drama there. That's what I heard. Where'd you hear that on the on podcast? your podcast? <laughs> yeah. Who told you that on your podcast? So, all right, you went to Brown. Yep, you did right. So right. the other guys, you know, you all, they, a few of them went to NYU, but Brown. I, yeah, I went to NYU my freshman year and then transferred to Brown. Brown's one of those. It, it's is it an Ivy League or is it one of the almost Ivy Leagues? It is an Ivy. League Okay, school. man, don't get. I see you look. It is an Ivy League school, but and I'm not going to pretend that I that that I didn't want to go to an Ivy League school. I did. No, I, I'm getting that, yeah. but but I mean, it is like the groovier of the Ivy League schools. It's like, one of the groovy Ivy League schools, right? Like I believe my friend Sam Lipsight went to Brown. Absolutely, I know Sam. Uh, I know yeah, Sam. I believe yeah. that uh, George Harrison's son went to Brown. Not when I was there, but Ringo Starr's daughter was there when I was there. So maybe it's a Beatles thing. Yeah, Ringo Starr's daughter was at Brown when I was at Brown. What compelled you to go to Brown? Um, Could you I, not get into Harvard? I didn't apply to Harvard. Uh, I went to NYU, didn't like it. And the reason I didn't like it is because I was the smartest person in all my classes. I wanted to be the least or almost least really? smart. Yeah. In, but not as a professor. Like I wanted the, to be around a, smart people, but right. not be the one that was being called on to give, you know, like, what do you think, Mike? Right. You know? Michael knows everything. Let's ask Michael. Exactly. Right. Um, and uh, and what'd you study there? Oh, I studied... Uh, this is going to be great. It is. Semiotics. Se science and symbolism. Correct. Peter, Peter Wolin book. Yes. Yeah. That's Which that. is actually, I make fun of it. I sort of put it down, but the reality is I love it and it's informed everything I've done. Can you can you sum that up for, like, because I took a semiotics class and I, I studied film theory and criticism as my minor. Yeah. Semiotics ends up becoming a part of crit art criticism, film criticism, food criticism, deconstruction, literary criticism. It's anything. Sure, it's like it's broad enough to be anything. It's 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 a it's, it's a, its own school. It's a of philosophy. Thought. It's a way of viewing the world. All right, so give it to me straight. The the the, the most kind of uh, simplistic way of describing it, and this is about my comprehension level of it, is in a western, mm -hmm. we 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 might meet John Wayne, and John Wayne is wearing a white hat. Right. And what does that white hat tell us about John Wayne? Right. What does it tell us about? Right. Him? You tell me. Oh, it tells uh, it tells us that perhaps it's it's uh, he keeps his hats clean. No, I, Mark. Wait, it tells us that he's good. That he's good. Okay. Okay. And but that, my problem with semiotics has always been: was that the intention of the director? And then it, it and then semiotics answers that it doesn't matter. Don't spoil our buzz. Uh, what do you mean? Was it in the intention of the director? Did the director put a white hat on John Wayne to uh, to symbolize that he's good? Yes. Maybe not. Okay, so but either, and that's that's fine. Semiotics right. can. There's room for that. There's all. It's a, there would have. There's to be. room for that. So so John Wayne wears the white hat, and all we need to do is see him in his white hat, and we already know he's the good guy. 
And then uh, the bad guy comes in and he's wearing a black hat. And we already know. And then we go, oh, he's the bad guy because his, his hat is black. And the idea is that basically these visual things uh, supply us with all this information that we are not conscious of. My issue with it has always been, same with postmodernism on some level, though I love reading it, is that a lot of it seems to be an imposition and and uh, a sort of uh, lyrical assessment of something that was completely unintended. It's true, but it is, but it is. See, in other words, did you think you'd be talking about this? No, but I'm thrilled to be talking about. It. <laughs> like another one that I think is interesting and worth yeah. worth you might be interested in because I know that you're a highly political person. The news show. So we take a network news show, any news show, mm-hmm. and they'll do the story about the death and the atrocity and the horrible things that are happening in the world. And then they end the show with something happy. Yeah. Then they go, you know, that happened. But now let's go over to. Well, that's a happy ending. And that's that is another form of semiotics where it's framing the news in a certain way to keep us to to keep us feeling safe and to and I don't think that the news people they were doing it for ratings and just what worked. But I think in And in, the semiotic approach is why? In a defi- why does that happen? Why do we do that? As a definition, though, it is about signs and symbols. Yes. Uh and one of the things that the, the the study of semiology, of cultural sign processes, analogy, metaphor, signification, and communication. What the, one of the great examples that was brought attention to my attention, and it is actually how I look at film and learn to look at film. You know, sometimes it's intended, sometimes it's not. Sometimes there are cinematographers and directors that are, are so loaded up uh, in terms Hitch, of Hitchcock, sure, and Coppola a little bit. Like there, there's a scene in the, in the Godfather where where I, it was really the first time I understood semiotics was that it was the it was the meeting between Salazzo and Don Corleone, you know, after they'd killed, uh, after he'd been shot up. Okay, and and it was very clear that on Salazzo's side, this dude was dressed to the nines, had a slick shirt, a shirt on, his hair was dolled up, you know, and and behind him there were green plants in pots. Okay. And then on the other side, when they cut over to Marlon Brando, you know, not you know, unusual for, for Don Corleone, even he was in a brown suit, his collar was loose, you know, he looked haggard, there were photographs and pictures on the wall. That there there was all this uh signs in, in within the movie, within the mise en scène, within the frame, within the scene, to show the passing of the older generation. Uh-huh. But down to the plant. Uh-huh. So when I knew that that was real, and I can't argue that that was intentional in those frames, I was like, "Holy fuck! This is a much deep, deeper art than I thought." Yeah, but that's a, yeah, and you're you're right, and that, but that's even deeper than I could ever go. Really? You just said. I mean, to me, it's more about. I mean, it it is that. I'm only at the level of like, why why do why do all romantic comedies seem to take place around Christmas? But that's just marketing. That's based on numbers. No, no, I mean literally our set during Christmas. Well, why the hell wouldn't it be? There's a lot of expectation. Christmas is a good time for everybody. No one thinks Christmas, oh my God, death. Right. You know, so I mean- Right, but that's semiotic. Yeah, I know, but it's also planning. It's also, you know, it, there, it has something to do- But you're saying that as if they're mutually exclusive. No, but it also has something to do with like uh, like uh, hermeneutics or something. Uh, the the narrative of, of, of story and endings. I mean, there are, there are, there are ways that stories work. Right, right? And the, but this is- this Now is, I got to Google hermeneutics to well, make sure no. I used yeah, it right. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. But oh I'm man, saying, I hope I used see, it right. Even if, what you're saying is is, even if what you're saying is true, it, that's not interesting to me. I see it as that, the reason it's that it's almost like survival of the fittest, which is over time we've realized that the best place to set a romantic comedy is during Christmas because of what Christmas symbolizes. Uh-huh. And and 
and then that ends up becoming a convention and a genre. And then what happens is is that people start setting their romantic comedies. I'm talking about screenwriters start writing their romantic comedies and they're set during Christmas, but they, it wasn't a conscious choice. It was just like, oh, well, it's a romantic comedy. So I have to set it during Christmas because that's when all other romantic comedies are set. Right. And then it becomes a cliche. But Not if that writer one. is going, I'm going to set my romantic comedy during Christmas for yeah. these very specific reasons that everyone associates Christmas with feeling good and family and yada yada, then it's not a cliche. Well, I mean, a cliche can also be a business model, unfortunately. I think once these things get redundant that, you know, they, they think it's it's an easy thing to do. You know, it's it, 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 it makes their work easier if the romance ends at Christmas or there's tension built. Like, how can they not be loving each other the night before Christmas? Well, but it's actually New Year's Eve. That's the thing. Their New, Year, New Year's Eve is one week away and they get to have the big moment at the, right. uh, on, yeah, at the New Year's Eve Yeah, I guess. Party. I don't know. Let's deal with the hermeneutics of the state. So you go to Brown. Yeah. Or the, or the semiotics of the state. Okay. Because you guys talk about a fucking powerhouse that, that, that just scarred 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds in a good way. Mentally scarred them to the point where they support almost everything you guys do. And congratulations on that. You're welcome. Do you, th do you ever think about that? I've talked to all the guys about this. I only think about it now that I heard you talking about it. And now I ha and now I, I sort of I sort of you, you made me think of things only because I heard you talking about it. Well, I I I mean that 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 thing you know because of the nature of MTV at that time you know just sort of burrowed into the uh, the comedic consciousness of a generation and somehow or another unlike many other comedic performers you guys have sort of grown up and they've grown up with you. I mean, you all sort of went your own ways. You've done your own projects. And I think a lot of your audience is still from those kids that watched you on the state. And some of them are watching it now. And some of, in other words, some of them watch the state now. And really? It. Of course. What oh, are your yeah. DVD sales like? Oh, I don't know. I don't keep track of any of that stuff. Who does no that idea. for you? Which one of you guys? Oh, I, Which I, one of you is the jacker? I pay no attention to it. No one does? No. You don't get a check? If I do, I wouldn't know about it. Oh. I have, Maybe I, you should... my checks go to a guy. We should probably um, check in just but, out of curiosity. But I, I wanted to, I did want to <laughs> what? put in my two cents as to what I've heard you say about the state. What, can you remind me, refresh me? Well, I, a lot of what you just said. You said uh, this idea of what is it about what you do that, that makes the the fans stick with you or whatever. And then the, this thing you were talking to uh, about, about you know, how go-getter-y were and self-promoting and stuff. Well, I think you guys were pre uh, one of the first guys. I think that the grassroots campaigns around Wet Hot American Summer, uh, around some of the other stuff that uh, that David did, and also just you know keeping them involved in their in your projects, I, I think was um, it was good business and it was good to the fans. I'm not negative about it. I I think maybe one of the things that I was thinking about when I was just in in thinking about this is that, and I I'll speak just for myself. Okay. Is that I'm not, a, and I think you know this, I think you feel this way. I'm not necessarily a comedian, per se. I know. I mean, and really? I think I, 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 I'm not saying that to say that I'm not funny. Why can't you laugh at anything I say that, that's me making fun of you? you I, I'm laughing on the inside. <laughs> um, I'm laughing semiotically. You're so serious. I'm laughing Michael, semi no, I'm not. So, I'm not. Right. I'm not. Ha ha. All right. Duty poop. Okay. Um, the, uh, well, I... I, I, I'm I'm excited about being here. This is like a big deal for me. No, I'm excited you're here. But um, I, I think you are. I think you are a a stage performer. Well, or that I like theater. I think so. It's not even about. It's not even. I like musicals. I like. I like the theater. And so and so my when when you know a lot of your show you're talking about stand up comedians and the I know there's a whole world around that and a whole uh, brotherhood and whatever and 
the whole state thing, and I think a lot of the fans, quote unquote, aren't necessarily comedy fans. No, I think that's true. You know, they're just they're fans. fans of you they're guys. just they yeah. just and 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 that the work the 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 work it just touched some chord in them that wasn't necessarily about comedy as much as just something different. And so I think I will say for myself, uh, the whole comedy thing happened very accidentally. What before the state? Yeah, I mean the state was a sketch comedy. It show. was a sketch comedy show, but we were all theater kids, and we were we were theater kids. And I don't even mean necessarily actors. What I do mean, you mean? Just, like you were in high school theater? Yeah, and, and I liked theater. Did you do musicals? I did musicals. You I did, sing? I, I I like to sing. I'm okay. not a good singer, but I love singing. All right. Uh, yeah, we we're we're a bunch of you know theater camp kids. You know, I don't think any of you really owned. Or or tried to to establish yourselves as stand ups in in the I think you all are sort of hyper self conscious about that because you know dealing with people like me and, and hanging out at Luna and doing you know dealing with Louie and all the guys that were just trench comics you guys are always very clear that those those guys are the real comics yeah we're we're just trying and I, and I knew I was a guy that was like why the fuck are they in here but you know Michael is John Leguizamo a stand up comic no. Uh, because that's the thing is like, you know, is, 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 is Sandra Bernhardt a stand-up comic? Yes. Um, because I think I don't like calling myself, I would never refer to myself as a stand-up comedian, even though I've done a lot of what someone else might call stand-up comedy. Well, I think once you started doing it, the, 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 the audience had broke open that, you know, you were not expected to go to Rascals and middle for um john mulrooney don't know okay. who that is of course yeah I, i'm just saying that i know but of, i know what you mean yes, part of yes. your growth was not going to uh to uh what's it periwinkles right in rhode island to middle or open <laughs> for uh don gavin <laughs> <laughs> but it was also that and I'd, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on this we also came from a generation of when the comedy thing died it's died so many times but, all but i, I mean, know is it's back but i but i mean we we the whole stand-up comedy thing had peaked by the time we were ready yeah, to start it, doing stand-up comedy. Okay. You could the, the it was it was like the whole uh, you know you know what Jerry Seinfeld that he'd already moved on and 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 this there were no comedy clubs. Yeah, they were always there, but I mean the the, the truth of the matter is it was not even on you guys' radar. In, in 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 the in the big picture, you did fine without it, and it was probably a better choice. But it was never the. The goal of any of you Never. to go like you know we got to start doing open mics. I wonder if I can open <laughs> no. for Marin uh, at uh, let me try and think of another name of a fucking club uh, at at Nick's in Boston because I can drive four hours and I could probably drive him up there yeah. and I'll get seventy five dollars. Yeah, we skipped that. You didn't skip it. You didn't even. It wasn't it, even part of it. Was it would have it wouldn't it, if if we hadn't done the state. We, we it would never have been that no yeah and th but that's the interesting thing is when I was in college I was really moving more along the direction of what you guys were in I did stage troupe in college I wrote plays in college you know I was you know you know writing short movies and somehow or another I'm like this is really too complicated if I can just stand up there and tell jokes that would be good and did you have did you have a that thing of of you did it and you're like I have to do this again I can't I like I I'm I'm being sucked on sure I had no I, I had no idea when that happened but that it was definitely my life very quickly but I always had something in my heart around you know the life you live 
And we're not that, we're just not that different. No, we're not. Uh, Michael. Uh, it's just that my craft was my craft. And like, do I envy the fact that somehow or another you've got the, the fortitude and focus to write movies and then make movies? Yeah. And do I envy the fact that somehow or another you've kept a social network together that you can do that stuff? I do. But yeah, I, I've grown to believe that I, it's just not something I'm necessarily going to focus on. I can barely handle, you know, my merchandise right now. You know, getting T-shirts out. I'm, I'm impressed. Bro. I'm actually going to say that I think you're doing a great job. You got the, you've got an app. You've got the website. You're all. You got the iTunes thing. You've you've got merchandise. You've got all this stuff going. I think it's very synergized and very well put together. Right. Well, it's because I'm working with a lot of you know. I, I'm you've got help, to... but the point is just that you the way and I said I, I the you the way you see yourself. I'm not sure is how others. See no, you. that's of course that's true. I, you know, I feel pretty good about myself, and I think everything's going fine. But there are certain things that I'm impressed with, and like you, you know, you did you wrote the Baxter, you directed it. Yeah, I directed it, and you started. I it. did. Now, what what was the feeling there? How did you feel that went? How did you feel the response was? What what did you did you win? <laughs> um, I mean this a hundred percent. I wish I had not played the role. I did not want to play the role. Um, I was happy to play the role. Yeah, but the idea was sort of like this would be kind of like a you know a he did everything thing, right, and that that could be something that could be you know uh taken advantage of in the promotion of the film uh, right I, so it, it was a good I, selling point i have profound and great respect for actors and the craft that they do and the amount of the the what they can do with material yeah i can't do that i mm. see dialogue and i i have one way that i can read it and that's it it's done what do you see you're like you're a comic performer so are you the straight guy generally no in fact when i'm doing my own material when it's me just talking about my life on, on stage, I actually feel much more free and performative. But when I'm playing a role, it's not me. Yeah, I, I, the last time I saw you, I was very proud of you. You, you didn't, uh, you, you, you almost came unhinged. It was, uh, it was good. Well, yeah, I'm <laughs> going for that. I'm going for that. It's cathartic. Don't tell me about I it. I know. I know. I'm going for that. Because, it feels like, good. I saw you at the Bell House and like literally I was backstage. Oh yeah, you were there that night. No, that I was day. there yeah, and know. I was going on after you. Yeah. And like I was I was carefully monitoring your performance to make sure that you weren't in trouble. And and, and how'd I do? I think you did great. Yeah. But like it was one of those things where you know you're like, fuck it, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. And I'm gonna go there. And then so all of a sudden you were in the middle of it. Right. And and I knew the feeling. You were like no, where am I? I don't yeah. even know if I'm in a hole or if I right. if I've said too much, and now I'm not not real clear how to exit. Right? Is this just confessional or am I doing comedy? Am right, I, but am you I had in... you had no idea how to get out. No, and I never do. I never do. Oh, and I well, there was moments there where I'm like I'm very I'm very attuned to where he's at emotionally. I'm just wondering when we we have to go out and save him. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, happens to me all the time. I'm by not the way. sure when he. I'm not sure he knows how to get out of this thing he's in, which that, is which is himself. That always happens. It does. Oh yeah, all the time. You telling me that people come on stage? Yep. Okay. Yep. It hap It it's happened many times. Or I'll just sort of scream out like, you know, I'm done now. Come get me. Yeah. Um, but like, like is it is it a time issue or are they actually concerned usually? Oh no, no, it's no, no it's, one's concerned. It's good fun. It's good fun, and and it, but it's but it's also just a a a. a, a, a as to do with the fact that I don't have, I haven't figured out how to end the bit. You so, know? so what was the reaction to the Baxter? Because it seemed to me that would be something you'd want to do more of. How did you, how did you finance that? How did you wrangle the money? Did David Wayne help you? Nope. That, I, that movie was fully financed and distributed by IFC Films. 
it was an actually like I wrote a screenplay and a studio made the movie. Okay. It was all above board. So you didn't have to go, you know, to try to find investors nope. or anything? Nope. Else? I mean, okay. the budget for the Baxter was a tiny, tiny shred over $1 million. What was your experience with directing? Did you love it? Um, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I will be the first to say I don't think I'm a great director. Were um, you concerned about semiotics? Did you place well, plants it, behind Baxter's people? Baxter's a very semiotic movie. Very semiotic. How so? It's all about the. It's all about genre convention. It's all about convention. Whole movies about what it's. It's all about the idea that you 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 you, you watch a romantic comedy and there she is. It's Meg Ryan and she's got this boyfriend and he sneezes. Hmm. And the minute he sneezes, we know he's not the guy, right? Because if you have allergies, then you aren't a man. Okay. And then Tom Hanks walks in and he does. He has no allergies and he's right. drinking a beer. And you had Michelle uh, Williams. Williams. Yep. And it's uh, a big deal now. I'd seen her in that. Uh, I mean, I knew who she was. I'd she was in the station agent. I'd seen her in that uh, parody, sat satirical movie about Richard Nixon. I can't remember what it's called at this exact moment. Uh, I was a fan of hers, and I thought she was perfect for this role. I begged her to play the part. So you're very, you were intellectually aware as a director that you were busting a genre. Oh yeah, that, the that, whole movie's about right. The whole movie is about a romantic comedy seen through the eyes of a wrong guy. Okay. And so it was. What if, you know. What what if any Nora Ephron movie were were spun to the side and it was this guy and not that guy? What would it look <laughs> but, like? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, does it have a cult following? Do people love yeah, it? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they well, do. that's a good thing. And that and so to answer that part of the question is when it came out, like so many other things I've done, the response was was crappy and it, and a lot of people said mean things about it and no one went to see it. That and, must have fucking killed you. Oh, it did. I mean, like, I can't even imagine you in that particular it situation. It did, but, and I mean this, yeah. it was the it was a feeling of, I did this and no one can ever take that away from me. No matter what mean things people say, I did this. Have, I, you, ever, have do you ever thought about the culture of, of provoked competition, though? Like, I'm saying, now this is a fairly new thought for me, that I realize that, you know, from Twitter and from the internet, and, and that all you get are people trying to cause trouble. That, like, I don't even know if they're aware of it, but a lot of times these trolls and these people like, hey, you ought to talk to so-and-so because he said this shit about you. Everybody's looking for competition. Everyone's looking for confrontation. Everybody's trying to get a rise out of everybody else because that has become some sort of facsimile of, of, of human engagement. If people like something, does that mean it's a failure? Right, and why can't people who don't like something, if they can't have a constructive way of saying it, just shut their fucking mouth? Right. So my re honest reaction to the, any question about anything I've ever done, there's some things I've done that I'm not proud of, but I'm very proud of the Baxter. I like the Baxter. I think yeah, it's a good it's, movie. Everybody and loves it. Ultimately, it's for the people who like it, and that's right. what my intention was in the first place. Do I wish that more people had liked it? Sure, but but not to the point where I'm going to go back to it and say that it was any form of a failure because it wasn't because the people who like it and from my impression is that people are seeing it know about it now more than ever is that uh, it, it came out great well, and people like it and what more could you ask for? What do you take from, you know, that, you know, from, I mean, obviously you've sort of had to grow into this and I know the last time I talked to you, you'd, you'd experienced some, uh, some disappointment. Some and, rejection. Sure. Some rejection. Uh, you know, but after a certain point, you can't take it personally. But some of this rejection and some of the ups and downs and the, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the ego bashing has driven you into academia. I mean, how do you manage this stuff now? I mean, what is your process around not becoming immobilized? Because, I mean, that day, and I'm not talking out of school here, that, you know, we, you were going to do the live one. You were very upset. 
No, I was upset when we talked on the phone. Yes, and and I and I would say that that just seeing what you've done is it's the, the, what you, at the end of the day you got to do what you love to do and let and let the chips fall, even if you hate it. And yeah, and <laughs> and it. so I mean, have I what it, it, in the in the final analysis, I'm somewhat starting to think that that like I may not be L.A. material, that I might I might not be Hollywood material. And but it, you know you can find a quality of life up here. But you do seem very Brooklyn. But I don't mean ho- I don't mean a quality of life. I have no I have no issue cultural. It's not it's not about where I'm living. I'm okay. just saying I'm just saying I may never be the guy who who I may never be the guy with the big with the big Hollywood comedy movie that. But you've I'm, tried. I've tried. You've banged your head against yes, that I've, wall. Yes, I've banged my head against that wall, and and it's and it and it's a big huge bummer. And the realization is, I don't even love those movies. I don't even go to see those movies. What I, I I like going to see, you know, honestly, and this might sound, I don't want this to sound, you know, pretentious. It's just true. I like to go to see a, a play in New York or I like to go see, you know, uh, a smaller film. I just saw a play. It was spe- uh, spectacular. What'd you Tim, say? Tim Robbins' uh, uh, Break the Whip, I think. Or Break I don't the- know. He wrote it? He wrote it uh, and and directed it, and it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, and that's moving to me. That's what actually I, I mean, connect he really, to. He really was able to integrate theater, movement, uh, his politics to some degree. He basically set out to make a, a theatrical interpretation of Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. Wow. But they chose one story that really took place... Uh, you know, in in a very in a pre-America America at the uh, at the which one the Jamestown uh-huh. colony uh-huh. Uh, when there was starvation and when Indians or indigenous people started to get integrated and then slaves got integrated he de- he pulled a, a, a story from history integrated you know real uh, indigenous uh, uh, American Indian language in uh, and integrated uh, uh, you know these class issues that were clearly apparent during that time he was really able to 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 get everything in there. And, labor and, of love yeah and there was a lot of actors a lot of moving around they did it in the commedia dell'arte uh, style wow. with, with masks wow you know so there were no clear identities that could be put on characters uh, necessarily everyone played many characters it, it to me it, it was like it, it actually threw me into this turmoil over what i do in the sense not not in the sense i was disappointed but like i i live in the world of emotions of human struggles in a very, you know, psychological and emotional way. You know, I want to know what's beyond the art. You know, in in my worst moments, I think that art is an excuse for people to hide. Uh, in, in in my best moments, I think art is a perfect expression that that speaks to all of those emotions and 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 heightens it. And that there's room for all of it. Of course, there's, there's room. room for all of it. But there's... like literally with Tim Robbins, like you know, I I get into these patterns with people in this room. He almost Ooh. changed your mind. Well, it was just like, you know, I like talking to guys about what they come from. I like guys who, who, have, who have a lot of stuff out there or maybe not or just comics. And, you know, let's see where the guts of you is and because I want to see how it relates to me and it helps me. But with like Tim Robbins, I was like, this guy just made a borderline masterpiece. And, uh, you know, is it necessary that I, I know uh, about what, what happened to his marriage or, or what his childhood was like? I see, I see. You know, because there, there's something to be, to be said for that. You know, there, there are certain creative people that don't want to talk about that shit. They're just sort of like, look at the art. I mean, Woody Allen for years. I mean, if he hadn't become scandalous, I mean, he would have been just fine not talking to anybody ever. Right. But I'm saying, and I know you already know this, but it, there's, it's, you do what you do. You do it as well as you can. 
No, no, I, I'm yeah. not. I'm not worried so, about it. I don't know where we got off on this, but I think it was that you you have an appreciation for things. I yeah. I, I and so if anything, it's about why am I trying so hard to be something that I'm not? Not that I am trying that hard for the money reality, and fame, the, exactly. And so no, right? But that's but but I'm saying I'm I'm I'm. I haven't, first of all, I haven't chased it that hard. I mean, I never yeah, left, I, I lever neff, I lever, I lever neft. Yeah. I, I never left New York. Um, you know, I dipped my toe in. And right, it, I saw and, you once at the Bourgeois Pig sitting out in front. I did a few years back. Yeah. You were like, I got, th- I got something going on. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that. And, uh, and I have no, you know, whoever, t- to the people that are doing it and are great, great. Seriously. Now, have you had, have you talked to Tom Lennon about this? No. I Did haven't. You? I really haven't. No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything, but you know, it's interesting that his attitude is sort of like, yeah, make shitty movies for families. Who cares? If Good I times. could, if I could, honest truth is if I could, I would. Do you guys talk? Yeah. He's a funny guy. Totally. Hilarious. Yeah. If I could do that, I would do it. I don't think I can. I Were don't you think the I serious one? No. No. Who was? Oh, maybe I was. A, I, Mike Black's serious. Oh, yeah. Mike Black is very serious. Everybody's so sensitive. Um. No. I don't think any of us were the serious one per se, but but uh, if I, if I could write the big budget comedy, I would in a heartbeat. But I can't. So why am I trying? Why am I why am I trying? To? When's it, have you written another movie? No. Okay. I tried writing one uh, this fall, and it I just banging against my my head again. And what me. happened to Michael and Michael have issues? Cancelled. It seemed like it was going well. It was. It went. It was going well. Did you start uh, teaching before or after that? I was teaching during that. I was our, I was I was teaching classes and shooting that show at the same time. And let's before I don't want to di- disregard this because there's a lot of people that love uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. Now, what was did you who wrote that specifically? David and I wrote that together. Okay. That is a is co-written by that, David. You know, that's Bernie. like a classic. That defined and and also a lot of the people in that have gone on to huge define comedy. Huge. And uh and when you were making it, did you have any idea uh that it would be as have the impact it has? And there was a lot of grassroots campaigning. I was in New York at that time. There was a lot of like come see a screening at mm-hmm. midnight and bring breakfast and you know. I know that I had high hopes of it being a classic comedy. Um, along the lines of Animal House, of what Animal House was to that me. broad an appeal. Well, I mean that's yeah. I mean the, the, one of the funny things about everything I've ever done, in particular Stella, mm-hmm. the TV show, not the, the the not the web videos, but the TV show, is we in our hearts believed that we were making a broad comedy. We really did. We were like, this is finally we've done the thing that everybody will get. Now Stella started the stage show. It was about you and Michael. And David being sort of, uh, you know, palsy on stage, a Brat Pack thing, but also showcasing music and short films. And stand-up. And stand-up. It was a variety show. Yeah. And then we went and started doing these videos, and we were, it's a, you know, essentially the Marx Brothers. We were these forces of nature. We had no past, no present. I mean, no future. We were just these weird guys. We were always wearing our suits, no matter what the circumstances, and we were just these sort of ids. Yeah. We were just walking. Was that a conversation you had? Well, okay, guys, we're ids. I, we're ids and suits. Yeah, of course. We talked about that all the you time. You guys are heady. And uh, and so, but we did the, we, you know, we were like, but we can't do, you know, it's too weird what we're doing on the internet. The the TV show needs mm. to be accessible and far reaching and broad. Uh-huh. And that's what we thought we had done. And it was the opposite. It was like the, you know, reviewed as the weirdest show ever. And then, <laughs> so the same thing is true of uh, Wet Hot. I'm like, this is just a big broad comedy. This is Porky's. This is... 
American yeah. Pie. Isn't that interesting? So what do you think the disconnect is? The disconnect between is... Between what you thought and you and the guys felt and, and what is. I mean, that has to be an intellectual disconnect. Yeah, it is because I, you know, I still... That still happens to me where I'll go, I don't get it. Like, How can not everybody like this? More just, or just or less how can everybody not like this and more is why do some people hate it so much? Well, I think it was the same issue that Conan had to deal with was that, you, you know, you, you guys are sophisticated. Uh, you think about things. You, 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 in a meeting, you said, we're all just ids and suits. And I, <laughs> I think... <laughs> I just now think that, that when you put it that way, now I think I understand. <laughs> That that I don't think that uh, you know I don't think that conversation happens right. in the uh, in the right. writers' room of Porky's. Right. If you have to have read Kierkegaard to understand it, well, I don't think that you would have to read it to understand it. But I think it's where you guys are coming from. That you in in, in just five minutes ago you said you can't make a big uh, a big uh, right. And I've, but I've only learned that through failing at it. So. But, but I also think that what you did succeed in doing was creating a comedy nerd classic. And and as you get older, you realize that the community that that likes what you do or there for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, that's good. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. No, I have, I have very little, uh, I have very little negative feelings about any of it. I used to. I definitely did used you, to. Was you? Did you grow up in an academic family? Yeah, my both my parents are college professors. Both. So this, so this my makes... father's a French professor at Rutgers, and my mom was uh, the first uh, female chair chairman of the English department at Princeton. That's that's pretty big. Huge. So you grew up in this world of books oh, and yeah. uh, events. Oh yeah, and uh, going to lectures completely. Mm. And uh, people at your house who Tony Morrison, Tony all, Morrison, all the all the people that taught at Princeton. Tony Morrison was Joyce, at your house. Joyce Carol Oates. They Rus were at your house. Russell Banks at my house. Now, how old were you? I was my whole life. It was until I graduated from high school. I mean, my 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 parents live in they their friends are academics. Do are they together? Yes, they're married. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, and so I mean, my I'm I, I am. There's a. It's a whole kind of uh, culture of faculty kids. I mean, it's like we have our own life that we grew up in. That then you get out of out of high school and you go, oh wait, this isn't what everybody's life was like, and you realize how different it is. Not that it's unique, but different, and were you think it's not different. Well, okay, so you're growing up in this. Were there at, at moments that perhaps were, you know, intellectually life changing at uh, dinners or events that you were at? I mean, it would seem to me that when you're sitting there listening to your folks talk with uh, Toni Morrison over dessert or uh, or whoever else they may have been entertaining, that that must have had some effect on oh, you. Oh, yeah. I mean, but it's 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 how it I it was just it was what people, you know, people talking about what the cliche of a Woody Allen movie of how academics and intellectual sound when they talk to each other. Is, sure. Talking is, about ids and suits is very not a cliche. <laughs> That's actually what they do. Uh, I was you have that. I guess so, but I wasn't like that. I wasn't a good student. No, I know, but, but I wasn't still, a, you you have a high respect for intellectual. Discourse. Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. I love it. Unless it's unless it's bogus, which a lot of it is. Yeah, even in academic circles. Oh yeah, even in the highest academic circles. Did, was there? You can't remember any moment where you re realized it was bullshit outside of just resentment for your parents at some phase in your life. Oh, a moment, a moment. I mean. No, I, I was uh, to, to the extent that there was anything life changing would be that I knew more about sex. I can't ever remember a time when I didn't know everything about sex, but it wasn't sex. It was gender, Gen <laughs> ge sex and gender and the way sex and gender interact and right. patriarchy so and you, chauvinism. That and was the, your porn. 
No, it was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was the opposite. It's, right. It fucked me up. It did. Yeah, it totally fucked me up because I was just a kid. I liked playing soccer. I liked comic books. I right. like, you know, and, uh, but I had all this head full of, you know, gender politics. So you're very sensitive to girls on the team or? or no, it was you? more like I, it was more like I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know how men and women were, on, could interact on just a primal level. Right. <laughs> There's a lot what I'm trying to say is, is that I had sex problems when I was a kid, Mark. <laughs> Well, you said it very intellectually. Um, and I think it's because, like, you know that book, Our Body, Ourselves? Yeah. I mean, I had that book on, you know, I was reading that book when I was three years that was, old. That's for them. I know, but I memorized <laughs> it by heart. So, Because you wanted to weigh in? You figured, no, like, it was just if like, I got here, an angle on this? No, it was just, here's a book. I'll read it, you know? And it's, like, pictures of pubic hair and sure. all this crazy stuff. The and, inside and outside of yeah, the and vagina. So I, right. And so I'm like, you know, but I realized later on in life that, like, sex is not, I mean, it can be, but it's when you're discovering sex, it's not intellectual. But let me ask you how it's how carnal, that, that and you, I had no connection to my body. Okay, I mean, I saw porn at a young age, and I, I probably didn't ever look at our bodies ourselves, but I did look at the joyous sex, which was. Oh yeah, still... we used to steal Playboys uh, in out, out of the behind the A and P behind the supermarket. Sure, we, we but could. how did that affect your your approach to women? I mean, if this you had a head full of, of intellectual concepts about gender and and sensitivity, and uh, and obviously an over. Uh, an over you were overly educated in uh, the way that that women wanted to be there seen. was a disconnect between your penis my penis and my mind <laughs> my mind understood and my penis didn't and your mind and understood sense, and undermined your yes, penis and in a sense i think when you're going through when you're when you're starting to 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 blossom sexually yes. that it's a, you want the more ignorant and stupid you are about it the better off you are i agree with that and i was way too educated so and also so, so like so i knew what a blowjob was i knew what six, sexual positions were i knew what masturbation was right. i knew all about intercourse right. i knew and yet i didn't know that like in order to masturbate you had to had to touch your own dick like <laughs> yeah, you had to masturbate yeah that's i just it. thought you'd wake up one day and you'd be in that part of your life where now i masturbate i didn't realize that there was any like you had to take action yeah take an action i didn't know i had to take an action <laughs> I thought it was like chapter five. <laughs> Why Ch isn't this happening? Exactly. I, I, I must be, there must be something wrong with yes. me because my penis isn't making me touch it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Literally. Exactly. <laughs> That's spectacular. So that was tough, huh? Yeah. Up in your head like that. Yeah. I, I, but, I, that, I but that was what I was talking about uh, in a different subject at, at, at the Bell House, which was, it was the same thing with drinking, which was that I thought I would one day, you know, have one glass of wine. Yeah. And that I would just wake up one day and drink one glass of wine and that would be that. But but at some point you did drink a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that like, you know, now that you don't drink that there's a fantasy of that. But but at some point No, but when I was drinking I was like I I drink like this now. Right. But one day oh, okay. I will just wake up and it will be chapter 7, the part where I only drink one drink one drink. Well, see, so since we're similar in that like I overanalyzed sex and sexuality when I was younger to the point where it became it caused panic in me uh when when the uh when it when the the uh opportunity arose. Right. That there would be sort of like God, I, I hope I do this right. I mean, I read the right, book or, right, or, or right. I don't really it's know. Like you're and, outside of yourself watching. Right. Right. Yes. I but I also uh, I think like you, you know, romanticized the 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 people that I thought didn't have that problem, uh -huh. the the hard drinkers or the the people that partied or the people that lived a rugged life and that uh, or intellectuals that you may have respected. That when I became 
when I shut myself down, when I shut off my those fears of my childhood to become this other person, this angry drunk, yeah, right? It felt fairly decisive to me that uh -huh. it wasn't it, it wasn't me waking up going what's happened to me it was like i'm going to become this. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. that i didn't have that you didn't no really yeah but it you was read comic I am, books you didn't want to become am, a I mean, superhero unless, I, unless i'm misunderstanding you it was i am this now but i won't be like this forever oh interesting no I, and, I, and I, then I, it, and then it was when am i not going to be like this why am i still like this well, well when i got into it i thought like i had control over it and then there comes a point where you're like i've become uh, this for real. Yeah. 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 That's a rough moment. <laughs> so now moving into this, is any of this covered in Mr. Funny Pants? I mean, this seems like uh, some serious oh, yeah, uh, yeah. memoirs. Yeah. Stuff. It's in there. It's in there. It's, it's uh, a lot of this stuff I ended up not putting in there because it was tonally a little bit too, uh, too much information ish. This just, is so. This is a straight up memoir because I, I I I went to look for pictures. And no, I it's a it's a meta it. memoir. It's a a lot of this book. Oh is, my god! Lot, I know, I know. All right. A lot of this book is uh, about writing the book and about my struggles in writing a book. So it's I think it's something that was it, that your plan or did that happen organically? You, you're like you, you. So they were writing. You're going. When are you going to give us a draft? And you said, I'm having problems writing the book. And they said, well, write about that. More or less. <laughs> I mean, really? it, it's a little bit less pathetic than that. But uh -huh. uh, I was writing the book. It wasn't coming very well. And uh, I was I was pointed in the direction of reading a couple books that uh, were very interesting. Who's? Jeff Dyer. Uh -huh. It's called Out of Sheer Rage. Mm -hmm. It's uh, he, he's he's uh, it's a book about um, him trying to write the definitive autobiography, uh, I should say, of uh -huh. D.H. Lawrence. Right. And it's not about that at all. It's about him failing at that. Another book that I'd read when I was a kid that I loved, and I've, I, I've mentioned this, called Tom Foolery, which was basically just you flip to any page and there's something fun there. And I, I loved that book. I enjoyed that book. And so this is a lot like that, which is just... Stick this book in your bag or put it in your one of the rooms in your house. Well, I, hear, I see there's page. some. There, okay, well that's good. Any page, so that means you can read it on the toilet. You're talking about a toilet. I didn't book. want to say that, but yes. Okay. Um, that's but what it's a all. Toilet, but it's, it's all a, clever and it's all of a piece and it's all. But you there's know. actual poems in here. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's some drawings. There's some drawings, poems, seem, stories, but, lists, charts. You see, there's to, some real memoir in there. There's some. There's some not funny stuff. But you're mocking. I think. That, and then I think we both run into this that. Does your self-hatred manifest in the way that, like, I, you seem like the type of guy that wrote poetry seriously at some point in your That's life. in there. That's in there. That's in my serious But are childhood. you mocking it? Uh, I'm presenting it as it was, and I'm letting, uh, yes, I'm not mocking it. I'm I'm both mocking it and celebrating it at the same time. I, I'm, I'm saying, I, I mean, it's bad, dude. I mean, it's, I don't know what yours looked like. Mine's real bad. <laughs> okay. Real bad. So you're looking at something that you did as a youthful indiscretion. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost celebrating how seriously I took it. Yeah. Well, was there a time where you thought I'm going to? This is the academic. This is the academia I want to pursue. I'm going to be a poet. No, I wanted to be. Uh, before I got to college, I wanted to be. Uh, if I, I thought in my in terms of my career, I would maybe be a cinema studies, teach cinema studies, mm -hmm. and talk about film genre. Well, I think you're kind of doing that. I am, and I love it. I love it. Right. And so, so you... then I went on a 20 year. Uh, you know, I went on a 20 year detour into into this other thing, and now I'm kind of doing both. But no, it wasn't a detour. You wrote a screenplay. You produced yeah. a movie. You appeared in movies. You you've written two that are were relatively successful. So I mean, it wasn't a detour. No, See, this it was. Is, like, this is the issue of of self hatred and 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 unmet expectations and and making ourselves crazy. Is that like 
like I'm in the position as well to look at some of my pursuits as a younger man that were very sensitive and 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 you know a, a bit more sophisticated uh, than than I may see myself as now. But like when I talk about them, I have a certain matter of like, yeah, well, that was I was fucking yeah, yeah. And I I don't think that's necessary. I think you're right. I think you're totally right. Like, cause and you, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a default. You go to it. You make you apologize for you constantly apologize. Weird, for isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because like yeah, that, I mean, I can see that happening in the world of comedy. But you seem to have a certain sensitivity. And, and acceptance around... It's a know. bad habit. Okay, all right. It's a bad habit. So are we going to stop? I want to. I want to. I feel like I curse too much on stage. Oh, well, that's just, you know, you know sometimes... Some because it's easy. It's easy. Yeah, but it, eventually it's all anyone can hear. So, okay, so tell me about the uh, readings. Are people who love Michael Showalter coming? It's been great. It's been fantastic. Because that's a tough racket. It's been so great. Yeah. Really, honestly, it's been... Uh, where have you been? We've been to Boston, Philadelphia, Washington D.C. Did two big shows in New York. So Los you're doing actual shows? Both a show. We're doing. I'm doing a show at night and a book signing. Just you on the show? It's just me. I'm doing an hour. I'm talking for an hour. And and what what size rooms? Uh, between 200 and f the biggest show was about 500. Oh well, the show that I did in New York was with Nico Case, and there were 800 people there, 900 people there. Uh. Average is about somewhere between 300, 300, 300, 400 people. Just for you. Just for me. Can, what you, do you, what, can you believe it? How do you, what, what, can how, you believe that? Well, no, I, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm it's honestly impressive. shocked. I'm, I'm shocked. How do you think they know you? Through the stuff. Through through okay. through Stella, through Wet Hot, through the state. Uh, maybe even, you know, I think the back, as I said, I think the, the Baxter, sudden, See, somehow the Baxter has just in the last year or two become something people know. Yeah. And also, you know, I think you ought to give yourself uh, some, some real credit in terms of, uh, you know, this desire to have some broad appeal. I mean, you guys as a group and as individuals really have, uh, have maintained a loyal fan base and you deliver to those people and they still love you. I think that's a... Uh, that's some, that's nothing uh, that's nothing to shake a stick at. No, and I think I think even I think with the state, one of the things that I might that I would have commented on about it at, at the time even was there was an aspect of like that could be me and my friends. Mm -hmm. That's what that looks like. That's what people saw. Like that's just a bunch of friends making a TV show, and people thought that could just be that could just as easily be me and my group of friends because the the jokes were inside jokes. But you've all grown up in such unique ways, and, and most of you have all remained in the business and still uh, have sort of come into your own. And that's uh, and you're still all friends, very much so, really. Okay, well, are, are we? <laughs> we are really we, are. Are we friends now? Very. Uh, you know, I love you, Mark. I love you too. Have we talked about everything? Yeah. You feel good about it? I feel great about you're it. You're going to leave here feeling good about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And you'll sign my book. Of course. Thanks for talking, Michael Show. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> That's our show. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Me and Mike have more in common than I thought, uh, of course, obviously. Again, quick uh, reminder on the dates. I will be tonight, March 31st through April 2nd, at the Comedy Club on State Street in Madison, Wisconsin. I will be in Milwaukee at the Crampin Adler Comedy Festival at the Turner Ballroom. That's in Milwaukee, April 8th, with uh, Kristen Shaw and Eugene Merman. I will also be... In Australia at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, April 12th through 24th. If you want to come to that, I'll be around. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF needs. Get a t-shirt, get a mug, kick in a few shekels. Go to JustCoffee.coop. Get the apps for the iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, 
or Droid. You can hear all the episodes on any of those. You can stream all of the early ones. And of course, obviously, the most recent 50 episodes are always free. You can go to WTFPodshop.com for some of those premium episodes. And if you want to download the Mencia or the Robin Williams, uh, a couple other ones up there, along with the Live from Comic series, they're all there. A lot of options. Wow, thanks for listening. I've got to go do a live WTF now. I'll talk to you later.